the Dark Side. I'm your host, Brianna. I'm Dyson. And this is Dark Adaptation. Welcome to episode 66. Thank you so much for joining us. It's Dark Adaptation. As always, I'm Brianna, and joining us is Dyson. Don't care. Where's <laughs> <Or> the snacks? <laughs> You'll get your snacks if you can make it through this episode. Oh. How are Man. you doing? How are you doing? Why can't we be one of the shows where we, like, eat during... Because I think that would set off... Masticate together. Oh, Lord. That would just set <laughs> off so much of the audience. If we, What if I just took to chewing gum? And like, nothing else we do sets them off. <laughs> I think that's easily ignored. But when you're just masticating right into the microphone... That's fucking gross. <laughs> Ew. Give me dry mouth. <laughs> It reminds me of, I was listening to an episode of It's the it's Always Sunny podcast, mm-hmm. and they finally had Danny DeVito on it, and he was just eating. <laughs> that checks out. That's, about, that's on brand for him. He's eating popcorn, too, so it was a lot of noises. Oh, my God. <laughs> At first, I was like, I can't handle this. And then I was like, you know what? It's Danny DeVito. Yeah. <laughs> Let him eat. <laughs> yeah. He's gonna. He doesn't care. No, he did not care. And he <laughs> was you know, using every taste buddy had to taste that popcorn. <laughs> it's an older episode now, but uh, still. Mm. So no, we won't be eating. Uh, if you want to eat, you can eat later or leave now. No. Okay. Well, no, I don't think I will. I don't know to which one. <laughs> Either. 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 Or. Yeah. Right, we're amped. We had a... a an ambulance show up at the apartment today it was really fun i got to see a i didn't get to see a dead body but it was really fun oh my god and uh there was a fire truck too yeah all right well (laughs) i'm just saying it was full house yeah yeah and some someone somewhere in the apartment this several unit apartment was just shrieking someone yeah some dude was hollering yeah screaming like blood curdling scream and we were like oh man that must be the person that's gonna get taken out and then it was no it wasn't there was still screaming it's like cool so unrelated screaming that's concerning yeah and it looked like the guy that got out was okay because they they didn't rip off with the ambulance or anything but no they really took their someone time. in this apartment is not well is not okay <laughs> did you make sure the door was locked cool cool so (laughs) intruder alert we're gonna get some guy breaking in here like glass i don't know beast was it i don't know this was some m night Shyamalan shit movie i just don't feed into any of the references you try to make because they're usually wrong and i don't know what you're talking about glass or beast or oh my god it was called split yeah. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a disability. <laughs> it's 
something. You can't make fun of me for it. I can if I want. Can't help it. Is it right? Maybe not. Am I gonna? Definitely. You know what? <laughs> you know what I'm gonna do? What? Me and the operator from that other podcast, we're gonna start our own show. It's just gonna be us talking. Which one? True Crime Ken or 911 Calls with the Operator? Uh, Kent. Yeah, I listened to that one more, True Crime Kent. Yeah. <laughs> he and I, we could talk. We have stuff in common. We yeah. have like everything in common for some reason. You and the operator can hang out. I'll hang out with Kent Chungus because I feel yeah. like I have more in common with Kent Chungus. Yeah, all right. And you can hang out with the operator. Yeah, he'll he'll swap fun facts. I'll swap fun facts. <laughs> We'll both talk about fly fishing. And me and Ken will crack our knuckles in the corner getting ready to beat you both up. Yeah, n- <laughs> neither of us will put each other on the spot and let awkward silence <laughs> just sit in until we feel uncomfortable. We'll just keep going. <laughs> like civilized men. <laughs> hey, I'm a civilized man. Mm, I don't know about the civilized part. <laughs> My caps are twice the size why of yours. You, why did you just roll up your sleeves and you flex at me? <laughs> I'm glad this is audio only so people can't see me just getting ready to arm wrestle you. Yeah. Okay, seriously, I'm going to go into this because okay. it is a long, this could be a long episode. Yeah, you also were rolling up your sleeves like your Eileen Warnos, so. Yeah, I have my hair slicked back too. Yeah. It's a look. <laughs> Again, happy it's audio only. Mm-hmm. All right, the story I have for you today is one of Newfoundland's longest missing person investigations. And we're back on the true crime train, yeah, you know? And actually, this episode has, like, two true crime cases in one, but you'll see. Okay. So, let's go. On September 2nd, 1993, the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary. I'm saying, um, I'm saying RNC for short, because I'm not going to. Constabulary? Yeah. What? They fancy out there. What's a constabulary? Con- like constables? Like police? Oh, I've never heard that in my life. Oh. This is oddly threatening. I'm assuming it's constable because of constabulary. <laughs> <laughs> My voice went really high right there. Constabulary. The constables of a district, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a terrarium or some shit. Constabulary. Constabulary. So. Don't you know? Eh? (laughs) Don't you know, bye. Bye. (laughs) Hey, bye. Maybe I should have grown up East Coast. I'm starting to think a bit like maybe I should have. Oh, yeah, eh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's more like Wisconsin, eh? Okay. Either. I could go with either. I am we're both Canadian and I'm just so don't feel Canadian, you know, like that. Like I don't even know how to start with like a Canadian like slang. Other than A. Send it. Send it, bud. Send it, bud. Okay, oh my god, I'm gonna start again. On September 2nd, 1993, <laughs> the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary, RNC, 
received a call from a concerned family member. It was the mother of 30-year-old Dale Worthman, and she wanted to report her son and his 29-year-old girlfriend, Kimberly Lockyer, missing. The couple hadn't told anyone that they were leaving town or given their loved ones or friends a reason that they might be unreachable, unreach, unreachable, and no one had seen them or heard from them in five days, so since August 27th. Okay. So people were getting worried, and it was actually Dale's employer that got a hold of his mother because Dale had failed to show up for work. Mm. So people were definitely worried. I mean, if I went missing for five days and... You went missing with me. No one would know because I don't talk to anyone. Yeah, same. <laughs> like my mom wouldn't be like, I think she's missing. It would take a while. <laughs> Eventually, my parents would be like, he hasn't restocked the store in a while. <laughs> and therefore, yeah, now I need to know. <laughs> yeah, because I'm so bad with it. I'll like, be like, I think I have a text message. Okay, I'll get to that in a minute. And then it'll be like four days. And I'm I like, oops, like sorry. Yeah. yeah, I don't like the social obligations. If you're my friends, you know it. And. Don't talk to me. <laughs> uh, sorry, I won't talk to you. Thanks. How am I supposed to keep going with this episode? Do it yourself. Kobe! <laughs> it's a bitch. You're annoying. I'm not sitting with you. <laughs> so police headed over to Kimberly and Dale's basement apartment in Portugal Cove, St. Phillips, Newfoundland. Uh, Portugal Cove, St. Phillips is a long name for a place. It seems to be like two areas kind of in one. And it's about... Depending on where you go in Portugal, go, Portugal Cove, St. Phillips, it's like between 10 and 20 minutes outside of St. John's, which is the capital. Okay. So, and, the, and they lived more in the St. Phillips part, which is like the south part, which is only like 10 minutes outside St. John's. Okay. I couldn't find the exact address to like actually map it out, but just based on certain key locations, that's about the area, south part of St. Phillips. Mm-hmm. So when the police pulled up, they noticed the couple's Chevy Blazer parked out front. On the front seat was Dale's wallet, which contained some cash and his ID. Inside the apartment, Kimberly's purse was found, and it contained the car keys, her ID, and some more cash. The fridge was freshly stocked. There were dishes in the sink. There apparently looked like dinner had been set uh, on the table, and bread sat in the toaster like someone left so abruptly they didn't get a chance to see their toast pop wow that's and fucking unnerving i know yeah in there raptured oh well in their bedroom a couple thousand dollars was found hidden under the mattress and then at first glance as the police are looking around it looked like the couple quickly stepped out with every intention of returning but they hadn't been seen in days and they need necessities like their car their ids all of this cash if they planned to be gone for a while and mm -hmm. the scene appeared that the couple had vanished into thin air as there was no sign of a struggle. Yeah, that's so weird. I was going to say, like, I, I know that people hide money under their mattress. Yeah. And like, it's like, don't, guys. 1993. If you're going <laughs> to. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to assume people aren't really doing that anymore. But if you do want to do that, don't put it under the mattress. Cliche. You know, if you do want to do it, don't. Yeah. You know, find it. Put it in the ceiling. Put it in a couch cushion somewhere. But anyway, I was going to say, like, so they had access to, like, a bunch of cash should yeah. they want to abandon their wallet. But even that stayed in the apartment or mm -hmm. in, the, in the place. So Yeah, and I did read in an old newspaper article that Dale's mother, her name is Beryl, 
she said that they didn't have a bank account, they didn't have passports, and they did not have credit cards. So right off the bat, it's like if you need anything, then it would be all of that cash. Yeah. Which is why they had all that cash in the apartment. It's because they didn't have bank accounts or credit cards or anything. The bank account's wild to me. I understand, like, I don't want to do a credit card. Yeah. Some people are like that. And I don't have a passport just because 9 11 happened after, like, uh, and like after, uh, man, this like, I already did my traveling. Anyway, this episode. Well, you could is used wild. to be able to go to the States and stuff without a passport before 9 11. I went to the States with my friend Kristen. What's up? When I was, I'm sure she's listening, when I was in like seventh grade and I didn't have a passport, it's a note. <laughs> I'm serious. Just a note. I just had a note. I went with her grandparents. Wow. That's fortunate you got through yeah so that would that would have been like 2006 or 7 mm-hmm. yeah but now you need like everything you need, you need to fucking prove everything but anyway yeah well i'm just saying your 9-11 argument doesn't hold up it does that was like a rule <laughs> i like didn't a... have a passport i it was it was early days it's early days they, they literally probably... went into new york state yeah but like now you do need a passport Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so they didn't have a passport. Mm-hmm. They didn't have credit cards. They didn't have bank account. The fact that they're just missing completely, not telling anyone, no cash, ID, car, is so weird. Mm-hmm. So the police began their investigation by interviewing family, friends, neighbors, taxi companies, airlines, anyone who might have seen the couple in the past five days. They also spoke with Kimberly's employer. She worked at the restaurant... At the airport inn, I was trying to look up to see if the airport inn is still around and what that is. And it doesn't seem like it's around. I don't know if it's torn down or if it changed names, but I just wanted to see. Mm-hmm. Can't find it. So that's where she worked at the restaurant in that inn. And the police learned that she failed to pick up her last paycheck. Oh, so again, weird. The police learned Dale was associated with a motorcycle gang in Nova Scotia a couple years before he vanished, but they found no connection between the bikers and the disappearance. They were kind of leaning on the angle of, like, is this an organized crime hit or Mm -hmm. a drug deal gone bad, something like that. But they couldn't link any present-day tie to the bikers. Present day is in 1993. Right, yeah. (laughs) Because that's where we are right now. Yeah. So unfortunately, no one had any leads or idea where Kimberly and Dale could be, and everyone questioned was adamant that they didn't have any enemies, they weren't in any trouble, and it was just mind-boggling, because it actually looked like they were just vanished into thin air. Mm -hmm. On September 15th, 1993, so that's almost three weeks after the couple was reported missing, the police went to the public. Uh, tips started to trickle in they were followed up on some of these tips led to searches of specific areas but ultimately they were all dead ends again uh, there was just no sign or word from Dale and Kimberly hmm. as the years passed oh no and the investigation yielded nothing the case obviously grew cold Little updates were given to the public by the police, and I think that's just because they had nothing because every lead was dead. Mm -hmm. A significant one did come in 2003, so I believe this was on the 10-year anniversary of them being missing. And the police said that 
the apartment actually showed no signs of a struggle, but did appear to be, quote, tampered with. The police said that they had a, quote, strong belief that it was staged, end quote. What the fuck? Yeah, so they've just had so much time to sit with the little evidence that they have. And I guess as more investigators have been handling the case, which I believe at one point there was 20 investigators on this case, Mm -hmm. sitting with those photos, looking at the scene, it all seemed too weird to them. Like, it looked like an effort was made to make it seem like they just vanished into thin air by, like, putting the toast in the toaster and setting the dinner on the table and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So they were, like, certain that the scene was staged and that foul play was involved. That's so creepy because that just screams like someone who knows what they're doing. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I don't like that. Or, or and like maybe even their habits or something. Like, because it was dinner on the table, but there was toast in the toaster. So, like, that didn't stand out as weird to anybody. So, is it normal for them to have some toast with dinner? Yeah. Like, I don't even know. <laughs> Yeah, what the? Yeah, that is weird. But then it's also weird because, like, if they did go to all of this trouble to stage the scene, but not ransack the place. Yeah, left all the cash and everything. Mm-hmm. So there's another motive beyond. Bizarre, yeah. right? Yeah, the suit. It, all of it's just strange. It's so strange, and this is why the police are just like mind fucked by it all. They're like, I don't fucking know what to make of any of this. Yeah. And then it keeps getting weirder. <laughs> So finally, 13 years after they vanished, a solid lead came in in early July 2006 when an acquaintance of Dale's, a man named Joey Oliver, went to the police. And he told the police that he knew where to find the bodies of Kimberly and Dale. I like to imagine this guy came in to the precinct, like, just disheveled as <laughs> fuck, just... And he's like, I have a junior. Ha! <laughs> I know where they're buried. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I can picture it actually. Yeah, I don't know why I was just vivid about that one. I wish you people could have seen how you were doing all of that. You looked like a treasure goblin. <laughs> <laughs> it's rubbing off on me. Every time I play Diablo, and I'm just screaming, "Treasure!" <laughs> I said, "A treasure goblin." You, you drop everything though to see if I'll get it. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to be there for you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> you missed one. Yeah, I was so mad. I yelled so loud. Yeah. Okay, on July 13th, 2006, Operation Recovery was initiated. You don't have anything? Okay. A, I thought you were going to be like, wow. Eminem name that one? Operation Recovery. And investigators. <laughs> Skip it over that joke. <laughs> investigators. <laughs> No one liked that album. (laughs) I like that album. Yeah, you would. And investigators (laughs) headed two kilometers down a dirt road off Thorburn Road in St. John's. Like, Thorburn Road actually kind of goes from St. John's and into the St. Phillips area. So, uh, I guess the the area that they were in was, like, just outside of St. Phillips. Mm -hmm. Technically on, like, the outskirts of St. John's. And so they go down... Thorburn Road into this small clearing surrounded by rough terrain. They begin searching the area with a backhoe, and after three days of excavating, they found a woman's shoe and some leg and foot bones. They carefully dug out the area, and they eventually recovered two bodies, 
laying together in a single grave. Okay. The grave was 70 centimeters or 2.3 feet deep. And the bodies were stacked. So Kimberly's body was on top of Dale's body. Kimberly had a thin gold chain around her neck, a gold ring on the middle finger of her right hand, and a ring with a green stone on her ring finger. Dale was wearing a t-shirt, a blue-green denim jacket, and had a pack of cigarettes and a pager on him. Kimberly's body was removed on July 26th and Dale's on July 27th, so it took 10 and 11 days, respectively, to excavate them. Because they had to like do it like archaeological style. Yes, and I have it somewhere later in here. But basically, they were really lazy. <laughs> no, it was <laughs> to be very careful and cautious. Obviously, they found two bodies. They want to make sure they don't compromise anything. They have to. Okay. Yeah. I, I like we know now that they were Kimberly and Dale, but at the time they have to make sure they preserve everything to properly identify them. And like if and it's. It, if it's like layers of dirt after all these years, like a layer may have like that level of ground and evidence. Exactly. Yeah. And it had to, it took so long as well because, like I said, this is rough terrain. So it's this really weird, rocky sort of surface. And the soil was highly acidic. And the acidity in the soil actually like caked onto their bodies. So even though they were found, 13 years later, there was still flesh and hair. It should have been totally skeletal, but there was still like fleshy remains because the acidity like preserved them in this cake of mud and they were like mummies. Wow, that's weird. I would have thought like acidity would have like eaten away at it faster. It's, the way that it reacted with their bodies just made this like compound or something. Yeah, shit. this like caked on dirt that preserved them. Wow. Like not totally. Because it was 13 yeah. years, but like yeah. to the point that there was still like flesh. Oh, I don't know. Imagine how fucked it would be if that happened. They were still like fresh. Oh, God, that would have been horrifying. Uh, uh, no, Black Mirror. No. Mm -mm. <laughs> so, yeah, it took 10 and 11 days to properly excavate them just because of all of those factors. Yeah. Forensic anthropolog anthropologist Dr. Sonia Jarek said, quote, the grave was not a natural depression in the woods, but a pit which was purposely dug into the natural soil layers. From my experience in excavating the scene, tools such as a shovel or mattock had to have been brought in to dig even this, this small grave. Digging with what would have been at hand, branches or a sharp stone, would have been too difficult, if not impossible. End quote. So basically what the anthropologist is saying is that they... They had been deliberately placed in a grave, deliberately dug for them, mm -hmm. and buried there. Like, this is a weird, unique terrain. There's not just going to be natural grave depression to put a body in. Mm -hmm. It isn't something that you could easily do on a whim. Like, this took planning. Mm -hmm. In this clearing where investigators were excavating, they also found six twenty-two caliber shell casings nearby, which they collected as evidence. Six? Six, yes. What the fuck? On, on August 21st, 2006, the province's chief medical examiner, Dr. Simon Avis, held a news conference and announced that the bodies were indeed that of Dale Worthman and Kimberly Lockyer. And he said, quote, 
We had initially anticipated the recovery of skeletal remains. However, the environment in which the deceased were buried allowed a certain level of preservation, such that there was some soft tissue remains, end quote. So that's where I said I talk about it a little bit later. Mm -hmm. um, and how like the acidic soil in the area caked onto the bodies and preserved them. Mm -hmm. Kimberly's skull had a bullet hole on the right side toward the back of her head, and Dale's skull showed that he had been shot several times. When his hair and scalp were pulled back, a bullet and a end bullet fragments were found. And there's what appeared to be a large exit wound at the front of his head, indicating he had been shot execution style. I was going to say this from the moment you said that there was two bodies and she was stacked on top. Mm -hmm. I was like, sounds like an execution. Yep. yep. And since Kimberly had an obvious bullet wound in the back of her skull too, safe to say that they were both shot execution style. Mm -hmm. On January 12th, 2007, which is six months after he led them to Kimberly and Dale's body, Joey Oliver did a taped interview with the RNC in St. John's, where he confessed to his involvement in their murders and detailed his version of the events. Oliver told the police that the day before the shootings, he and a man named Shannon Murren went to the site where the bodies would eventually be recovered. He said Murren told him to bring Dale back to this site the next day. Oliver told the police he went to the apartment to pick up Dale, but said he didn't expect Kimberly to join. When asked by investigators why he took her with them, Oliver said, quote, What was I going to do? Tell her to stay? She was his girlfriend. He said, come on, what was I supposed to do? End quote. Sounds like a fucking weasel. Oliver drove the couple to the site, saying he assumed Shannon was just going to beat the shit out of Dale at most, but instead, quote, Murren shot him right off the bat. I can't get the image out of my mind. Then he pointed the gun towards me, and I said to him, what the fuck? And he said, just get the fuck out of here. Go up and wait for me half the way up. End quote. <laughs> what the fuck? Oliver said he saw Dale get shot, but not Kimberly, and t said that Shannon told him that Shannon shot her four times. Oliver said he and Shannon went back to the site the next day to clean up anything that might have had blood on it. He claimed he didn't see where the couple was buried or if they were in a single grave or separate ones. Okay. <laughs> Your face. God, I'm just trying to put together the, he shot her several times. Yeah. Whereas I thought Dale was the one who got. Yeah, Dale's split. skull showed that it had been shot several times. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't, yeah, so many questions. Yeah. Especially when it's like, I didn't see if where they were buried and if it was a single grave or not. And it's like, this is a small clearing. Wouldn't you see there was a burial site, like fresh soil? Yeah. And also, you went there the day before, and I bet that that's when they dug the grave. Because the anthropologists, the investigators, everyone is saying, like, this had a premeditated aspect to it. It's not just, like, on the whim that you dig a grave. Mm -hmm. Like, they probably dug it the day before. Yeah. Plus, if they, even if they didn't, like, you're saying that 
Marin shot two people and you had no idea and then risked like just leaving the bodies out there while he dug a grave that would have taken some time. Yeah. Like it just is so bizarre. Mm -hmm. It just stinks. It does stink. Oliver also told officers that he had to come forward because he was racked with guilt and he couldn't live with it anymore. But he was very adamant that he had no idea that they were going to be murdered, let alone why they were murdered. So mm -hmm. he just was stewing with this guilt for 13 years and he just couldn't do it. He couldn't, he couldn't take it anymore. Even though he took it for 13 years. Yes. Hmm. But he's like, but it was all this guy named Shannon Murrin and him and Shannon Murrin aren't like strangers. Like they used to be friends mm -hmm. and they even had like a little, I don't know if it was a side business or what, but. Joey Oliver is a mechanic and Shannon Murren is like a professional painter. So they had like this side hustle, whatever, of restoring old cars and stuff. Okay. So like they were friends at one point. So I don't know. He's just like, Shannon Murren fucking did it and I got dragged into it, but I didn't do anything wrong other than bring Dale there and Kimberly because I didn't know that she was going to want to come. And the police are like, okay. And he's like, but I didn't do it. I'm adamant. I. I did not murder them. I don't even know why they would be murdered. I just thought that for whatever reason, I still don't know, Dale was going to just get the shit kicked out of him. So, despite his denials, the police charged him with two counts of second-degree murder. And he initially took this news calmly, but it was more because he was, like, just in total shock. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen the actual video of this interrogation. It was videoed. I've only seen, like stills from it mm -hmm. and joey oliver full out thought that he was just gonna leave this interview and go about his life like the footage shows him getting dressed to leave like it's january right so he's like putting his hat and his coat on mm -hmm. and he's like ready to just be like well fellas see ya bye-bye and so you can just see that he's like, oh, shit, like, I'm being charged. Well, fucking, yeah, you're at <laughs> best accessory to murder. Yeah, you're, you're an accomplice. Like, oh, well, you know, thanks for being honest with us. Yeah, like, you literally confessed to being an accomplice to murdering two people, buddy. Of course you're going to be charged. Yeah. But you can just see that he's like, oh, well, shit. Ironically, if he came forward initially, his time would have been up if he was telling the truth. <laughs> <laughs> he actually probably would have served, like, what? fucking seven years and he'd be out for second degree who knows yeah 15 as the days progressed and joey oliver had his day in court to be officially charged his lawyer told the media that he was still shocked by the turn of events but now he was quote surprised by the charges and has a number of questions which he wants me to put to the crown in due course with respect to this matter end quote he's so he's still like what the fuck man this is bullshit. I can't believe I'm getting charged with this. Sorry, just hearing him say with respect to this matter. With respect to this is. matter. Like, yeah. oh, yes, that sounds like you want me to answer this email right away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now you're probably wondering, like, where is Shannon Murrin in all of this? And who is even Shannon Murrin? Mm -hmm. So, like I said, they used to be friends. They restored those old cars together. Uh, I am going to assume that they had some sort of falling out. Otherwise, why would you accuse a supposed friend of murder? Like, that's wild. So yeah. I'm assuming. I don't know. I just know that they used to be friends for mm -hmm. sure. Doesn't seem like there are now. That's for sure. 
Yeah, definitely. So Shannon Murren, he came forward after this whole story got out that Joey Oliver was accusing him of being the one to murder Kimberly and Dale. And Shannon contacted the media explaining that police had questioned him as a suspect now that his name was brought into it. But he denied any involvement, saying his past made him an easy target. So what he's referring to is that in the 90s, he had been charged and tried for a totally separate murder all the way across Canada. Hmm. Gets wild. It's also wild. Do you like horror movies? Do you like hanging out with your friends? Do you like having a laugh? Do you like podcasts? Well, you should check out our podcast, Spoils of Horror. We're not a review show. We're a horror movie hangout where we talk about movies that are lost, forgotten, popular, and bizarre, all in the scary realm. You can listen to our podcast while you're doing just about anything. You could be washing your dishes. You could be washing your cat. You could be washing your genitals. (laughs) (laughs) All forms of genitals accepted. We are a fully inclusive genitalia show. Yes. We are the number one ideal podcast for washing your genitals. Our genital Yelp reviews are unsurpassed. Five and a half stars. <laughs> you don't want to know where that half came from. Uh... <laughs> now that you know that, check us out on all major platforms. You can search for Spoils of Horror on all social media sites. Come and hang out with us. We'd love to see you. And your genitals. <laughs> Bye. All right, so this totally what the fuck was that. Stop washing your genitals now. <laughs> now, imagine people skipped that and they're like, "What?" <laughs> I just felt like we've never acknowledged that we do that, and I just wanted to. <laughs> well, it's spoils of horror. It's one of my favorite podcasts, and. Steven and Leo are great. It's not a horror review show. It's just hanging out with your buddies, watching a movie that is maybe questionable, but usually fairly good, especially if you like horror movies, any kind of horror movies. And it's funny. Every time I listen to Spoilers of Horror, I cackle like a psychopath. Mm -hmm. And they're also smart. And they have really good insight into films my only criticism is like i'd appreciate it they stop transmitting into our broadcasts i told them that it's fine to do every once in a while i can't believe you've done this well i'm the host (laughs) (laughs) yeah so they're really smart and even when you're I've listened to episodes and they talk about a movie that I've seen that I didn't like, but after listening to their episodes, it kind of gives me a new perspective and makes me reconsider my opinions. Like uh, they did a two part on the green Inferno. Remember we watched that one, the Eli Roth one about the people that try to go and have a protest in like the jungle. Oh God. Yeah. And we were watching it and I was like, I'm just not really a huge fan of this film. Oh, you changed your mind on that? I have to watch it again, but after hearing them talk about it, it kind of, I was like, oh, I can actually see why the sum of this was maybe pretty good. Because mm. they're just that persuasive. 
Oh, I still hate that movie. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> listen to Spoils of Horror if after this, anyway, if you need to, like, have a good old laugh. Yeah. So, <laughs> this yeah. totally separate murder that uh, I got to tell you about, why Shannon Murray says, Shannon Murren says that he's an easy target. Mm-hmm. Now, it is a doozy because there's so much weird information out there that I will get into in a minute. But basically what happened was in 1994, eight-year-old Mindy Tran was murdered in Kelowna, British Columbia. Kelowna? I I knew immediately you're like, on the, like <laughs> the, when you're like as far away, I'm like, it's going to be fucking BC, isn't it? <laughs> it's always fucking yeah. BC. Total opposite side of Canada. I, just, yeah. I think it's, you say Kelowna. I think you're right, yeah. Kelowna, BC. Yeah. On August 14th, 1994, Mindy had just finished dinner and decided to head over to her friend's house so that they could play outside together. So Mindy rode her bike over to the duplex her friend lived in. When she didn't return home, her family, their friends, and countless neighbors began searching for Mindy. Her family made heartbreaking pleas on the news for her safe return, but sadly, the pleas and searches yielded no signs of Mindy, and search efforts were called off on August 22nd, so eight days after she had vanished. Six weeks later, her body was found inside a shallow grave inside a suitcase. A man had been in Mission Creek Regional Park, which is a kilometer away from where Mindy lived, using divining rods or dousing rods. And had located her grave and led police to it. What is that? That's the next thing here is, Dyson, do you know what divining or dousing <laughs> rods are? No. You will when I explain it. Because I also was like, what the fuck are divining rods and what was this man's doing in the park? And then as soon as I looked it up, I was like, oh. So okay. they're two handheld like L-shaped metal rods. And you hold like the small part of the L in your hands and they usually have like a tube so that when you hold that part they can easily rotate so you hold the like small part of the l and the long part of the l points forward and the two extended rods will like move in synchrony when something is quote found so they're like those two little rods that you hold in your hand you just kind of wander around typically people are using dousing rods to try and find like groundwater Buried metals or ores, gemstones, oil, radiation, grave sites, basically whatever. Okay. You've never seen that? I don't think I've ever seen that before. Okay. I'll I'll post a picture of what Tiffany Ross. Yeah, in the meantime, I've got a phone. <laughs> we can keep this bad boy going, you know. On Instagram, Dark Adaptation Podcast. We always post photos related to this case, usually to the cases we cover, not just this case. Usually maps, photos of the people we're talking about in this case, divining rods or dowsing rods. Oh my god, I've never seen that in my life. Oh, okay. Exactly as you explained it. Okay, yeah, I was like, it maybe looks... I'm explaining it like shit. I'm gonna have to go down a whole thing about how the fuck that works. Because <laughs> uh, it's fucking twigs. Oh, that reminds me, I meant to watch it, but Mythbusters did an episode on it. Yeah, okay. I didn't watch it. I meant to, but yeah, it's basically not a scientific apparatus. It's I was just... going to say, it sounds so horseshit that you're, you've got these sticks in the air and somehow they're compelled to... Move in synchrony when there's something... Water or a grave site. Or buried metals and ores or gemstones or oil or radiation. I was going to say, this sounds like pseudoscience. <laughs> so that's what this guy was doing in Mission Creek Regional Park. And I mean, horseshit or not, he found this body. We can decide 
what that means, I guess, in our own minds. She was like, Ooh, what? <laughs> what? My, it, was, it wasn't me. It was my dousing rods. My rod pointed he, me in this direction. You know what? Direction. If he honestly came across that. That was in poor taste. I'm sorry. I missed it. It's fine. No, if you missed it, hopefully everyone else did. <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, do you know that guy like went to his fucking grave convinced that those stupid little sticks work though? Stupid be, little sticks. You're dumb little sticks. Anyway. All right. So he was using them, though, and he did help find Mindy's body this way. Yeah. So the police recovered Mindy's body, and they sent it for an autopsy, which showed signs of strangulation and sexual assault. Uh Oh. She's eight. Yeah. It's foul. Mm -hmm. The prime suspect was Shannon Murren, because he happened to live in the same duplex as the friend that Mindy was going to see. Mm -hmm. Now, this is where the case gets weird. Shannon was questioned by police, and he denied any involvement in Mindy's assault and murder. Very adamant. Didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. After he was released, because the police didn't have anything to hold him on her murder, three men drove Shannon to the spot where Mindy had been buried and beat the living daylights out of him. To the point that he was hospitalized for 11 days and had to have a hole drilled in his skull to relieve the swelling and pressure on his brain. Oh, they beat the shit out of him. Yeah. Yeah. So Shannon said the assailants who nearly kicked the life out of him Mm -hmm. had told him that they were convinced by the RCMP to attack him, uh, basically to be a confession out of him, which worked. And Shannon confessed to the RCMP that he had murdered Mindy. And he was charged. Mm-hmm. As you can probably surmise, this is where the problems began. Yep. Shannon Murren stood trial, but it was a mess. Prosecutors alleged that Shannon killed Mindy in his apartment, then took her body to the park where he buried it. But there was a no crime scene anywhere at the duplex. There was no blood. There was no sign of a struggle. There was no trace of a cleanup. Then there was the prosecution's star witness, oh, no. who was a jailhouse informant that said Shannon had confessed to him. That's not even the worst part. This informant had 107 convictions, one of which was perjury, and he was paid $4,500 for his testimony. What? Yeah. I'm sorry, it's just stupid as shit. It is um, crazy. What the fuck? Like, I was going to say, like, I don't believe the RCMP got three guys to go beat them up. But after pulling these dumb stunts, it makes me think, well. That's how I felt. I was like, well, these guys are probably just vigilantes who think that a child rapist and murderer is getting away with it. Yeah. So it's easy to say, like, we're the RCMP sent us. Yeah, I mean, like. <laughs> I don't know. There seems to be some sort of undercurrent. But of, yeah. Like, yeah, I don't know. So, something stinks. Some, something stinks again. It's stinking in here. Yeah. Especially- it's not just that informant. <laughs> oh, my God. 107 convictions, one of which is perjury, and you're paid $4,500 in 19. $4,500 is like. And, t- and today's solid dollars, money. that's 8000 Yeah. He was paid for that testimony. And he's a known perjurer. Is that a word? The man purges. He's a pur- He's purging. Purging here, purging there, purging everywhere. 
after a seven-month trial, he was found not guilty. Shannon Murren was found not guilty and acquitted of all charges against him. Days after the acquittal, Shannon started dating a juror from his trial, a woman named mm. Kathy McDonald. And Kathy claims that they fell in love during the trial and they moved out of the province. Well, that's a fucking problem. Oh, uh, yeah. More problems. <laughs> what? How does that happen? I don't know. Apparently, they just fell in love. They never knew each other beforehand. They didn't talk during the trial because you're I was not allowed. Say you can't talk. And they just I fucked the whole time, I guess. That's and, what I pictured. And then they moved out of the province together. That's how he ended up in. No, was it Newfoundland? I think he actually went to Alberta for a bit. Uh, anyway. also checks out. They moved out of. <laughs> They moved out of BC for sure. And they kind of did some interviews and Kathy like cries about how isolated they are and how no one approves of their relationship. And it's just the weirdest fucking story. It's the I'm, weirdest thing ever. I'm just imagining like a skit at this point where like he shows up first day of trial and she's like, they're like eye fucking. And then the next day of trial, she's wearing like a close crop oh, top God. thing or something. And he's wearing tighter pants. <laughs> and like as they progress, the pants get tighter and the, and the blouse gets lower or and some people are shit. texting like oh my god have you seen shannon's pants yes. they are so tight <laughs> so <laughs> stupid <laughs> is that two dice in his pocket <laughs> if, fuck? if you know you know yeah oh my god i'm gonna die all right so shannon murren filed a lawsuit um Against the lead investigator, the RCMP investigator, Gary Tidsbury, <laughs> the federal government, the federal government and the three men who beat him were uh, Patrick Dunn, Robert Holmes and Ken McDonald. Those are the guys that beat him nearly to death. Mm -hmm. So the federal government and the RCMP settled the suit one week before I went to trial uh, with Shannon receiving an undisclosed, quote, substantial sum of money. If it's if it's undisclosed, I don't know how you know it's substantial, but okay. <laughs> they actually just like settled it. Yeah, the federal government and the RCMP were like, "Fuck that, we're not going to trial." Sorry for literally saying you're a child rapist and murderer. Here's an undisclosed amount of money. Oh, yeah. What the <laughs> fuck? So an internal investigation was conducted to see how and why the investigation was so poorly handled. The investigation revealed the RCMP put pressure on witnesses to Shannon's alibi that night, the night that Mindy was murdered. The RCMP put pressure on them to change their stories, causing Shannon's friends to change their stories to say that Shannon was there an hour earlier than he actually was. Okay. So he... I can see that happening. Yeah. So they're like, no, say he was there earlier than he was so we can put him at the scene of the crime later. Yeah, you know how they always pull that stupid mm -hmm. shit where they're like, are you sure? Like, we have people you saying sure that he was that? there an hour earlier. Are you lying to us? Mm -hmm. You wouldn't lie to us, would you, Billy? Um, it's Billy. I'm going to go. His Billy. friends, Billy and Joel. Nope, that was an accident. Yeah. But, but uh, and then you just put the pressure on them, you know, and then like making it sound like they might be in trouble if they don't give yeah. the answer they were looking oh, for. Oh, are you Which covering is for so him because you were common. there too? Were you there too? Yeah, I just don't like shit like that's why i don't like be greasy yeah because it's fucking manipulative mm -hmm. and it like in the wrong direction like when mm -hmm. a cop fucking lies like the consequences are actually really fucked up like that one time we watched cops and they lied about it like lied to the guy oh yeah they did they're like up. oh your girlfriend just said you were driving 
Mm-hmm. And he's like, that bitch. And then it was like <laughs> this whole thing. Just, meanwhile, like right before that, the girlfriend was like, I'm not talking to you. Yeah. I'm not saying shit. I don't know shit. I don't yeah. even know him. Yeah. But yeah. So they were getting all up in these witnesses' grills and they were like, you better fucking change your story. And mm-hmm. they were like, okay, fine. We'll change your story. The RCMP. <laughs> Stupid. The RCMP released some of their findings in a report. And they admitted that the investigation was, quote, bungled. The RCMP would say bungled. They 100% would say bungled. So I put quote, because I Sorry, didn't write boys, that. Sorry, boys, we loved it. Well, fellas, <laughs> bungled. Bungled it. Just, but, yeah. So they're like, yeah, whoops, we fucked it all up. But they were still adamant that Shannon Murren is the murderer. Constable Chris Clark said, quote, the investigation remains open. The person we believe to be responsible for the murder of Mindy Tran was charged and acquitted. Man, I didn't know Dellen was fucking. I heard it too. <laughs> Dellen Millard, where'd you come from? He was a he, man. That guy's been everywhere. Dellen would say bungled. So He's this getting bungled. Let me tell you. <laughs> this next part is even more of the weird information. It's. I had mentioned it when I was going to first start talking about Mindy Trans, that there was weird information that I mentioned, and um, uh, that sentence made sense in my head, and I realized it didn't out loud. (laughs) So this is more weird information. Okay. (laughs) Fuck me. And I don't want to go too deep into it, because I really don't know what to think. But basically, there's a website called MindyTran.com. And it has a ton of information and theories about Mindy's murder and Shannon Murren and the investigation. So if you're interested in a lot of reading that borders on like conspiratorial and fantastical in some ways, mm-hmm. I recommend visiting the website so you can form your own opinions. Uh, it's not for me to make any assumptions about the claims on this website. But what yeah, I- just slap a sticker on that. Okay. Uh, we, we don't know anything about the validity of no. some of the things said there. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. But what I will mention from this website is from the page called New Witness. It details the statement of a supposed eyewitness to some suspicious activities. And this witness came forward after the trial. Hmm. His name is David, and he is adamant that Shannon is the murderer. And here is some of the statement that he claims to have given to the RCMP afterwards mm-hmm. it's long but interesting okay uh, i'm not gonna do a weird yeah voice. i was gonna say don't <laughs> i saw you prepping to do it i was like don't do it no okay on august 17th 1994 at approximately 7 45 p.m i was giving a friend a ride to her girlfriend's house in rutland we drove down springfield road and encountered a suspicious person crossing the road with a suitcase I thought that I recognized him, and so stopped to speak with him. He tried to conceal his identity from me by quickly turning away from me as I pulled up alongside him. By doing so, the weight and momentum generated by the suitcase unbalanced him and turned him completely around, briefly exposing his face to me. This person then went around behind my vehicle, paused briefly as if reading my license plate number, and then carried on into the trees on the south side of Springfield Road. I still thought that this person looked very familiar and that it may be the person that I had initially thought it to be, a person referred to as Suspect B who resembled Shannon Murren and lived only one block away from here. 
The expression on the person's face at the time was so strange that it acted as somewhat of a disguise. I had never seen this expression on the face of suspect B. I carried on to my destination and then about one half hour later returned by way of Springfield Road. In front of me, crossing at the intersection of Springfield and Ziprick Road, I again saw a person who appeared to be the same man I had seen earlier, now returning from the south side of Springfield Road, heading north on Ziprick. I did not see a suitcase from this distance in this light. I had been puzzled by this person's strange behavior and curious as to why he would read my license plate number. So I made a split-second decision to attempt and follow him to determine who this was. By doing so, I drove directly into the Tran neighborhood at the time that the search for Mindy was just beginning. I did five U-turns in the area over the course of the next one half hour and was seen by several people. I believe that I found the destination of the person that I followed to where he was sitting in a carport at 1420 Collison Road. He was alone when I first drove past, but was soon joined by two other males, standing and drinking beer. They all saw me. One of them, the one sitting down, knew that I had seen and followed him. Due to the distance and the fading daylight, I was unable to see this person well enough to positively identify him. I left the neighborhood unaware that any crime had just occurred in that area. I left town early the next morning, still unaware of what had just happened. I heard the news later that night while I was in Sycamus after picking up my car from a local repair shop. I was not living in Kelowna at the time, and it was some time before I returned. I saw a brief news story on the television concerning a suspicious vehicle which seemed to resemble mine. I phoned a person in Kelowna and asked questions about where this had happened, but I was led to believe that the abduction had occurred some distance away on Highway 33 and did not suspect that this other event was related. When I returned to Kelowna some time later, I noticed a lot of activity in the park area where the person with the suitcase had gone. I pulled into the parking lot and spoke to a security person who was directing traffic. I told him about the suspicious person with the suitcase that I had seen. He assured me that a very thorough grid search was taking place in the park just then, and that if there was anything to be found, that it would be found. I was driving a gray Ford van at the time that I spoke to this person. I heard that nothing had been found. I completely moved away from the Kelowna area shortly after this and heard very little about the case. I had been left with the impression that the police were sure that a white van was involved and did not even hear anything about a person with a suitcase being a suspect on the news. The two men that were drinking beer in the carport at 1420 Collison Road can identify the other person who was sitting towards the rear of the carport. I believe that he is the one who took the suitcase into the park that evening and was the person that I followed as he returned to his residence. Sorry, to this residence. I am asking who these people were and if it was Shannon Murren seen at this residence on that night, why he has never, why he was never identified to the police by the others. End quote. Okay. So, interesting, mm-hmm. especially because we know Mindy was found buried in that area mm-hmm. in a suitcase. Mm-hmm. And this dude is adamant that he saw someone, suspect B, who looks very much like Shannon Murren, going in there with a suitcase. Yeah. Now, the statement goes on to say that he, David, didn't come forward with this information before trial because his life had been threatened by armed and masked assailants during a home invasion at his brother's house where he was staying at the time. And he believes that they were the same people that were with Shannon Murren on the night he followed him to his van. So all those dudes drinking beer. 
because they all saw him in the van, so they knew he could identify Shannon as the suspect in Mindy's murder, and they attacked him to silence him. And he said they knew where to attack him because the van he was driving that night was now up for sale on the front lawn of his property, so they put two and two together. And he also claims the RCMP won't allow him to give his statement and won't return his calls or anything like that. So he's certain it's a cover up because Shannon is a, quote, known RCMP informant and they wouldn't want him going down for murder and becoming disgruntled and potentially spilling the beans on whatever RCMP business he was involved in. So basically, investigation was mishandled on purpose. There were also other claims on this website that Shannon Murren was a serial rapist in British Columbia which I do admit he closely resembles the composite sketch of the serial rapist, but I also feel like a lot of men from the 80s match this sketch. Mm-hmm. And he was able to get away with it because he was an RCMP informant and therefore protected. Oh, so you can read the entire statement and watch more for yourselves on MindyTran.com. And the main reason that I bring up this statement yeah. is because it seems really convincing at first. Yeah. Talking about a man with a suitcase that looks like Shannon Murrin and all of that but then it just goes on and on and gets super conspiratorial and so you could as a defense like as a defense lawyer or something you could as a defense i'm a lawyer i am not a lawyer but (laughs) (laughs) what i could say is like if i was i would blow holes in that so fast yes like i saw someone who i thought looked like on the side of the road but it had an expression to make him almost look unrecognizable. Yeah, it's a weird expression after then, this disguise. And then when I saw such and such on on in the carport, I the sun was in my eye. I couldn't <sighs> see him. I couldn't positively identify him. There was a home invasion, and I'm traumatized enough to move away. And all of it, you could just blow holes in that all day. And then he starts going into the known informant. Oh, I know. Which like. Okay, and that he's known. also the serial rapist. Yeah, and I, I mean, like, Anyone part of me is going like, in... I mean, I would I believe that the RCMP has informants and that they would of mishandle they shit. Of on course, informants? of course, of course, they do. Sure, I'm on the fence about the Nova Scotia shooting. Is it Nova Scotia? Um, I always fuck this up. I always want to say PEI. Oh, Gabriel, whatever. Yeah, it was Nova Scotia. A fly on your head. A fly? Yeah. Is it still there? No, I think you got it. Where the hell did that come from? I don't know. What the heck? Um, where fuck? was that? Oh, get out of here! <laughs> there you go, listeners. You can listen to that one on real time. It almost went in my eye. Oh. Um, fuck you, motherfucker. Where's my fly swatter? <laughs> I'll go get it. I, I, think, I got it. I got it. I think it was uh, Nova Scotia, though, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And, like, that, that one has an undercurrent of... Um, why they didn't respond appropriately the rcmp wasn't responding appropriately it was the accusation but it wasn't a cover-up and like no mishandled mishandled but like you know did you get it no i don't think so oh okay but like this one's just straight up conspiratorial like oh he he like i don't believe for a second that the rcmp would be like oh one of our informants raped and murdered an eight-year-old child we mm-hmm. better throw all the stops to make sure that he doesn't get arrested yes and like convicted like uh yeah mm, there's a lot of leeway for the rcmp to be like where they don't have to talk about the fact that he's an informant and there's a lot of leeway for a judge to acknowledge that 
there's no reason to bring that into the case at all. Mm-hmm. If it's even so, true. Yeah, it, if it were true, which I doubt. Anyway, that's my whole thought on that. And, you know. I, I, mean, I have the same note I said in my notes here. Um, I, while the RCMP is not perfect at all, <laughs> and I'm not defending the RCMP, uh, I'm not even taking a stance one way or the other, but I do think the idea that the RCMP willingly let Shannon Murn be an absolute menace to society in the regards of murdering and raping a child and potentially being a serial rapist. Yeah. I just think that that borderlines on absolutely crazy yeah and there's just problems in this whole witness statement alone like you're admitting that you're kind of a freak like you did five u-turns in the area where a missing child was yeah i was gonna say like what well on this like website where it seems like they're you know i'm not gonna say whether they're i haven't seen the site but like if they are like check it out it's wild place if they're good with having some conspiratorial posts like i better if i go see that i better see a conspiratorial post about that guy actually being potentially the one who killed her and the serial rapist i don't think so i don't the, think the it's website real, but... is very much shannon did it oh, okay That's well the, you the know what there's is. one for an alternative website who wants to <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's like, i don't know who runs mindy the guy who, can, uh, who accused shannon of of being the the person is actually the killer.com sorry dossier <laughs> david Am- ambrose is his name i'm um, not saying that out loud because i don't want to get sued <laughs> no plus who even knows if that is his real name it could just yeah. be uh whatever i don't and i don't know who runs mindytran.com like if it's her family or something i feel really bad i i don't but i'm just i know saying, what we can call the website amberalert.com yeah that's not taken <laughs> um but yeah if it is like mindy's family in any way like i do feel bad for saying that it's like totally fantastical and conspiratorial um, oh, I'm going to feel like a piece of shit if I find out that's their website. I don't know if it is, though. But I'm yeah. just saying it's very much one-sided. It's It gets a little crazy in some ways. And that's my opinion. That's why mm. I'm saying check it out for yourself. Yeah. Um, the second reason that I bring up that whole statement from David is that he goes on to mention that there was um, one of the reasons that he didn't initially come forward with this information and waited until after the trial is because... He was certain that DNA evidence was at the scene and would confirm that Shannon was guilty. Mm-hmm. So apparently there was DNA recovered from the scene or from Mindy herself. I'm not sure, but it somehow was washed away by the RCMP. I don't know. Mm. So um, uh, also third reason why this is mentioned is because it's an inevitable part, inevitable part of the research. And if people are familiar with this case, I don't want them to be like, you didn't mention this. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, here you go. I mentioned it. I, I really don't know what to make of any of this. And again, check it out for yourself. Yeah. Had um, we known what to make out of it, we would be paid by the RCMP at this point. <laughs> it's just all <laughs> to everything about this case, Mindy Tran's case here is so, is so weird. Well, it's just—it's frustrating whenever there's a case where the RCMP fucks it, and they just and they they fucked fucked this. There's no denying that they fucked this case up. Yeah, and the the reality is like the RCMP after the fact saying, "Well, we're adamant, we're still absolutely convinced that he did Mm -hmm. it," means dick all to me because your chance to prove that failed miserably. You fucked it. Yeah, like so coming out and saying that afterwards is like just 
stupid. It's just fucking asinine. Yeah, it's also like kind of seems like a cop out for you to be like, this case is now unsolved. It's completely cold, but we feel like we did have the guy, but he was acquitted and you can't try him again. Yeah, they, they wanted to spin the like, he slipped through our fingers on a technicality narrative <sighs> rather than we failed to convict someone. Yeah. Because we fucked our investigation and now we don't know. Like the reality is right now, the person who did this is lost to history. Mm -hmm. Sorry uh, about all the trauma that fucking caused, but like, yeah, (laughs) we fucked it. And to her family too, who if the RCMP is saying that Shannon Murren did it, then her family's probably like, well, Shannon Murren did it. Yeah, absolutely. So it's just so messy and crazy. And yeah. It's obvious the RCMP fucked it. They even said they did. Um, whatever you want to make of MindyTran.com is up to you. I just think it's it gets a little crazy in some parts. But what matters is that a girl was killed and assaulted, an eight-year-old girl, mm-hmm. and justice was never served. Yeah. So you can fall on whatever side, on the side that Shannon Murren is guilty and he's getting away with it, or you can fall on the side that he was an innocent man that was nearly beat to death, forced to confess to something he didn't do and now has to live with that over his head forever. But regardless, the investigation was severely mishandled and now Mindy's case is unsolved and completely cold. And yeah, and in terms of Shannon, like, I'm just... I'm not having any sympathy for the guy. He Like, I imagine this guy's probably, whether he's guilty or not of that, still a bit of a piece of work (laughs) so you know for people to think that you are yeah i mean like yeah twice (laughs) yeah well sort of sort of yeah so there um before we get back to kimberly and dale Mm -hmm. uh there was a memorial tree that was planted for mindy at the springfield ziprick road parking lot close Mm -hmm. to where she was found and it has a plaque that reads, see this tree that will grow instead of Mindy. Oh, yo, that's devastating. She, oh my God, and she's so fucking cute. I'll show you a picture. She's adorable. Whoever wrote that? Well, I think her parents. Oh, mm-hmm. fucking, that's poetic. She's so cute. Look at her with her little pigtails. She's like a little baby Bjork. She does look like a baby Bjork. Look at her little pigtails. (laughs) That's her and her mom. Mm -hmm. She's adorable. So, yeah, that plaque is there in the tree. I mean, this was 1994 that she was murdered, so Mm -hmm. it's probably a big tree by now. Yeah, it would be. that was the detour we had to take to explain why Shannon Murren told reporters he was an easy target for Joey Oliver to say that he was the actual murderer. Your face is confused. Yeah, I just would have not talked about that. I wouldn't have brought up the fact that I was once accused of killing a child in BC <laughs> to prove that I didn't kill someone else. <laughs> like, yeah. Man, this is just a repeat of the last time I was accused for murder. Oh, Fuck you guys. Oh my god. <laughs> like oh, yeah, okay. I get your point. Yeah. Um, so you can see why I mentioned at the beginning of this episode that it's sort of two true crime stories in one, because we're just going off fucking 
jumping back and forth in time, going in between two different crimes, talking about a lot of interesting people. Mm-hmm. Like, damn. So Shannon Murren spoke with CBC reporters after his name was thrown out as the actual murderer. Mm-hmm. And he told them that months before Joey Oliver was arrested for the second degree murder of Kimberly and Dale, Oliver called him on four separate occasions, leaving really aggressive, wild voicemails with messages like, quote, who are you going around town saying I killed them people with that was dug up the Worthman's in that you're the one that done that, not me. Mm-hmm. And quote. Shannon, you killed both of them, you cold-hearted. You're just one cold-hearted bastard. You're the one that done that, not me. I would I would leave messages like that too. If I was in prison and I'd be no, like No, this was months before. Oh fuck. This was months before. Oh, okay, that's he worse. even dropped Shannon's name as being the one who actually did it. Mm-hmm. Because he told police in his interview in January 2007, and this was way before then. Okay, gotcha. He was leaving voicemails like this, and Shannon recorded all of them to give to the police. Like, yo, this guy is fucking crazy. Mm -hmm. Look at these messages he's leaving me. Okay. You killed both of them, you cold-hearted. You're just one cold-hearted bastard. Yeah, I I missed that part. I thought thought he was already in prison, and he's like, you son of a bitch. Nope, this was months before. Mm Mm-hmm. As you'll remember, Oliver was surprised to be charged with second-degree murder. He totally thought he was going home that day. That's wild. Uh, uh, yeah, that must have been what he sounded like when they were like, you're under arrest for second-degree murder. <laughs> I just stroked out. So he was in for another shock. Mm-hmm. On December 3rd, 2008, after a long preliminary hearing into the case, Provincial Court Judge Greg Brown ordered Oliver to stand trial for the first degree murder of oh. Kimberly Lockyer and Dale Worthman. Oh. Mm-hmm. So he was So was that like the RCMP was like, we recommend first degree, like we're going to do this for first or the judge was like, no, we're bumping it to first. Yeah, the, the judge heard all of the evidence for what to expect when they go to trial for second degree and he was like nah this is first degree wow yeah (laughs) dale's mother beryl was happy to hear the charges were upgraded and he'd go before a jury for first degree murder she said that she believed the murders were planned and deliberate Mm -hmm. and she would sadly be disappointed though because there was no jury because there was no trial what the Crown and Defense reached a deal saying the case might not have been solved if Joey Oliver didn't come forward. Mm-hmm. So the charges were downgraded to manslaughter, and he was sentenced to 15 years minus the four that he had already served. Oh, is that because they just straight up thought they couldn't get a conviction? Do you think? Like, did you, would, if you speculate? I would say. That's what I would. I would say they just didn't want to go to trial if they didn't have to for multiple reasons. And obviously the crown is in talks with the defense. You have to be mm-hmm. when you're going to trial. And the defense probably made a good point, I guess, that this case had been dead cold for 13 years Mm -hmm. there was no way those bodies would be recovered unless for some reason that land was going to be developed or by some miracle another fucking dude with dousing rods found them and 
they're like, he came forward. Sure, he sat on it for 13 years, but he did come forward. And now you have their bodies because he came forward and told you. Mm -hmm. And I also think they, like what you said, there was probably a little bit of doubt that it would be guaranteed. A jury would find him guilty of first degree because I think the Crown was struggling to place the gun in his hand. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're right on that cuz 13 years ago he comes out his only the only story right now is that he didn't do it he was an accomplice an, un- an unknowing and unwilling accomplice until it literally just happened yeah sure i mean like they they all are but like i 100% <laughs> think like he had enough there to sway the jury like possibly in at least to put doubt yeah and into reasonable doubt mm-hmm. that he didn't pulled the trigger exactly and i I don't know that's yeah fair enough i think it's a multitude of things including frustrating because it's like justice fell to the wayside on this there's no justice in him having a manslaughter no uh yeah that's just and serving 15 years minus the four that he had already been in jail waiting for a trial Mm -hmm. so at at the time well by the time a family hears there's a verdict of some kind then he's just going to go away for 11 years Mm -hmm. in their mind because he's already in for four. So despite pleading guilty, he has always maintained that he was not the killer. It was Shannon. And Shannon, again, is saying I'm not. I wasn't there. Shannon was never charged with any offenses related to the murders of Kimberly and Dale. And he's, again, always maintained that he has nothing to do with their deaths. He has no idea why Joey Oliver dragged him into it. And... um. Yeah. In 2010, <laughs> sorry, I just disassociated for a second. <laughs> it's fine. In 2010, Shannon threatened to sue the RNZ, the Crown, and the defense lawyers for allowing his name to be put in the statement and dragged all the way back into the limelight in a terrible way. Mm-hmm. There's no indication he ever followed through on that. I don't know if he actually did sue them and they settled elsewhere or if he just said he would and didn't end up doing it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. As of today, and much like Mindy Tran's murder, many questions about the murders of Dale Worthman and Kimberly Lockyer remain unanswered, like the motive, who really pulled the trigger, what was Oliver's real involvement, uh, why did he drag Shannon Murray into his confession, like there's still so many questions. And Joy Oliver is now in his early 50s, he was granted full parole in 2016, and is said to be living in British Columbia. And Shannon Murren is in his early 70s and lives in Newfoundland. Newfoundland still. Mm-hmm. Newfoundland. 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 Newfoundland still. Yeah. So, I mean, that's really it. But before I wrap this all up, I wanted to mention something that I find interesting as I'm putting this together because there is so many questions still. Mm-hmm. And so, um, there... This is, I guess, time for me to get a little bit conspiratorial, but I have good reasons. Okay. I just find it interesting. So there was a $50,000 reward for information that would lead to an arrest and conviction in Dale and Kimberly's case. And the police paid out this reward, but they refused to say who received the money. They have never said who received the money. Huh. This next part is my thoughts totally. So take it with a grain of salt or think whatever you want. But... um. I'm curious if Joey 
or his family got the money. If there's some sort of loophole there where he was still entitled to the reward money because he did lead people to the bodies. I had the same thought. Maybe it's true that Shannon Murren has nothing to do with it. And it's true that he was an easy target. Maybe that is true. I think that Joey could have acted alone for whatever reason. Maybe there was someone else there that he didn't want to snitch on. I don't know. I doubt it because it is easy to control two people when you have a gun pointed at them. Mm -hmm. I also can't stop thinking about how months before Oliver went to the police saying he knew where the bodies were. He called Shannon and left those weird voicemails months before when Mm -hmm. it's still like radio silence as to what's even going on with this case. So I think it could be possible that he was setting up a plan to get reward money because when he was interviewed by police, he really thought that he was going home after he was getting dressed like he was going to leave. He thought that he went to the police station, gave his two cents. He thought that he maybe would be seen as this like poor bystander that got dragged into something terrible and would be heralded as a hero for coming forward and helping to recover the bodies. Mm-hmm. And like, he had no idea that Shannon was just going to kill them in cold blood. He thought he was just going to beat up Dale or some shit. And like, I don't know. That's just where my mind goes. Cause I just think this whole case is so weird and I find it so fascinating and so strange at the same time. And, $50,000 reward was paid out but you refused to say to who yeah it, they shouldn't be allowed to do that I don't know if they did I have no idea if like Joey I, or no, his I mean, family like the got this RCMP money RCMP shouldn't be allowed to be like did we or didn't we like flat out it should be a rule like RCMP is paid by the government that money is public purse should be disclosed where that fucking money yeah I mean if I win the lottery you have to say who won the lottery even though people could come for me because people want money yeah. But like you're going to give someone $50,000 and you won't say who? Yeah. So I just think it stinks. Yeah, and I mean, so we're literally hearing throughout this whole case how much the police suck and they're doing their jobs. The RNC is not the RCMP. Somehow, but... $50,000 went to the prison snitch again. It's so weird. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was in Mindy Tran's case. But isn't that weird? Yeah, that's absolutely fucked and incredibly frustrating because, I mean, I completely see the other side where you're looking at this guy who just showed up after 13 years and accused someone who's already a, a shady character mm-hmm. in every every regard as like, well, he did it. Yeah. And it's because I'm associated with him. And like, mm-hmm. you can be like, mm, OK, I mean, like, that's convenient. It is convenient. But at the same time, you're kind of going like, I don't know, man, like something's fucking wrong here. This guy's accused twice now. Mm-hmm. You know, how many how many fucking warnings are we going to get? Oh, my God. Actually, he's been accused three times. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like The other case. Um, It was like really quickly ruled out that he wasn't involved. It was. Why is he in proximity of this <laughs> shit? Is more like what's driving me. Like, you don't just accidentally People get accused must just of murder. Fucking hate three this guy times. or something. There was the murder of the another rape and murder of a six year old girl. Her name was Corinne Gustafson. And he and Shannon Murren was brought in as a suspect on that one, too. Mm-hmm. It was ruled out really quickly though that he wasn't involved because he wasn't even like in the province or something but yeah like that's the kind of situation that you can point to this one and be like see he's like 
a name out there for this stuff mm -hmm. and therefore he's gonna catch some accusations and i could see that side but at the same time yeah this dude just is in spot in places where this shit's happening and is getting accused of it and he has ties into it like it I can I can see it's just my frustration at this point is what I'm just trying to say. It is so frustrating. Yeah. And also, you just feel like you had your mind fucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you're like, I can see Shannon fucking doing this. And it just is. But I can also see. It just doesn't make sense. Being a full of shit. Yeah, I, I, I like all more on the shit. side that Joey Oliver is full of shit. Like yeah. they obviously had a falling out of some kind and he was like, I'm dragging you down with me. And to yeah. leave all those weird messages months before you even go to the police to drag this guy's name through the mud mm -hmm. stinks. And, and Shannon then, recording it makes me think like, okay. He recorded it and brought all of them to, to the, the RCMP to, or sorry, to the RNC to be like, this guy's lost his fucking yeah, mind. That, that to me is such a strong action to take that makes me think like, okay, Shannon didn't didn't do this and you also are probably in the fucking worst position because you're like i'm dragged into this because i'm an easy target and like do i even bother addressing that do i just sit with it do or do i attack this first so that i can be on top of it and and be like no i'm an easy target this fucked up shit happened and the answer is you attack it first so but, that's but like it's so but like yeah you're never ever ever going to be able to paint yourself as a sympathetic person no because you were accused of raping and murdering a child. Yeah. So, and then here you are in another murder case. That's Execution the thing, though, because the when it comes to Mindy Tran and then Corinne Gustafson, they're six and eight year old girls who were raped and strangled. Yeah, and then this one is a grown adults executed. Grown, yeah, so it like doesn't really fit. Yeah, and you know what also doesn't really fit the staging. Yeah. The staging doesn't fit because I don't. If it you was have one even guy staged, accused, yeah, the police just maybe had too much time to look at the photos and think it was, but they would, I guess, know maybe if it was. Some some was going on there. It though. was a creepy scene, that's for sure. Yeah, like they were they were ushered out. It's, but then it you're like, like, but then so fucking why were they taken and murdered? Their car is there, ID is there, money is there. What the hell happened? So what the fuck? It just screams that there was like every time that there's something and there's no robbery, no sexual assault, no crimes of passion. I mean, what really is left other than like organized crime? Thrill. Thrill. <laughs> yeah. It was a mission. Yeah. Well, you know what? The truck was still in the driveway. So. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if Kimberly Lockyer was assaulted or not, though. I didn't read that if she was or wasn't, or maybe that maybe whoever did it went there to try and attack Kimberly. Maybe they wanted to assault her in some way and didn't know Dale would be there. It's just I don't know. It's all wrong for the scenario, though. It's so like that would have been like he would have been message. dropped in the house. Yeah, it's like sending sure. a message, like trying to trick the police by staging a scene. Yeah, so something's wrong. I mean, you ushered out without a fight, but you left your food on the table and fucking toast in the toaster still popped and like, yeah, mm, no. It's so, so something wild. about that's just so obviously like when 
like pros go in and fucking yeah do so this then shit. was it even joey yeah like if like maybe not maybe he just had a gripe with shannon and thought he could get the last laugh but it yeah, flipped on him yeah just all of it's wrong it's i have just not like right. this is the case where i really am like if joey or his family didn't get that reward money then where the hell did it go why won't they say who got the reward money was this just an elaborate plan for joey to try and get fifty thousand dollars and then it backfired and now he went to jail mm-hmm. to prison for manslaughter yeah. when he was just trying to throw shade at an old friend or something like mm. and it was actually maybe those bikers he was associated with maybe some sort of organized crime drug debt d- drug deal and those people are laughing in the wind because some guy with a grudge actually did 15 years time for manslaughter. Yep. It's so crazy. Like whole, I actually don't shit. know yeah. what to think. It's the wildest case. Yeah. And the, the parameters around who can get money. Like, is there a rule where there's where the RCMP can provide money to someone, even if they end up incriminating themselves or it's hard to look default? up. Yeah, exactly. There's no good. There's no paper. No, it's hard to look up, and then you just have people with opinions. Yeah, and it could, for for all we know, like this could have just gone to someone who was participating in the trial. To well, there was a trial, no trial. Yeah, right. Or maybe it just was not paid out. It was actually just like dissolved in some way, and they didn't want to say that. Like, who the fuck knows? Yeah, it could have been dissolved. My 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 brain just hurts, man. Yeah, there's really just no answer, and our government and our rcmp are going to be opaque as shit it was rnc it wasn't rcmp rnc i know it's confusing rcmp was mindy trans case yeah british columbia rnc is newfoundland with kimberly and dale right yeah the royal newfoundland constabulary i'm never gonna remember that but yeah that's what i mean like i it can it could be absorbed and then technicality on the book says it was doled out like god knows what yeah we don't does your head hurt yet? Yeah, I'm just absolutely mind fucked on this. What one. about you, listener? What do you think? Do you agree? Don't care. The- <laughs> like, bitch, this episode was so long, and I'm so confused. I stopped listening for like five minutes and lost everything. <laughs> that statement you read, yawn. <laughs> there you go. That is the murder of Kimberly Lockyer, Dale Worthman, and sweet little Mindy Tran. Mm-hmm. Eight years old, unsolved. Sweet little baby Bjork. Yeah, she looks like a baby Bjork. It's she does so look cute. a lot like a baby Bjork. It's yeah, so fucking cute. <laughs> so I'm interested to um, know what you think, listener. I want to know. Do you agree with anything I said? Do you think uh, Dyson's right? Yeah, Am you think I I'm right? right? Are we wrong? Are we just fucking out of our goddamn gourd? Was it? It was the website, the beacon in the dark this whole time. Maybe. And we just shat on it. I didn't shit it? on it. I, I just... shat on it. Okay, well, maybe we did in so many <laughs> ways. But all I'm saying is the website just gets a little fucking cr- fire and brimstone in some ways. Yeah. And that just means the person's very passionate, mm-hmm. I guess. MindyTran.com. Check it out for yourself. You'll see what I mean. And uh, fucking... Like, rate us in five stars or something. Yeah, if you like the show. Fucking share it with a friend, man. Be like, they're all right. I'm just, I'll still listen. It's something to put on. Yeah. Road trip. Mm-hmm. Working. Mm-hmm. 
follow us on Instagram. Not if you're working at the R- RCNS. RNC. RNC. Um, <laughs> Especially not if you're working at the Republican National Convention. That'd be weird. Good lord. No, yes, do it. Yes, Absolutely do it. do it. Put us on the loudspeaker. Loudspeaker. <laughs> just hook us up to everyone's Bluetooth. Just infiltrate the Bluetooth. Yeah, airdrop us in airports. <laughs> <laughs> Follow us on Instagram, Dark Adaptation Podcast, to see photos related to this case. I'll put up a little map of some sort, some photos. You can see cute little baby Bjork. And uh, we got sources and more information on our website, Mm darkadaptationpodcast.ca. That's also where you can buy us a coffee. Just a little donation. Helps the show, helps us. Mm -hmm. We got merch still. It's our patches. They're beautiful. Mm -hmm. Sold sold a few. They... uh, People love them. <laughs> Jesus Christ, how are you underselling it? <laughs> People do love them. They they're do creative. Love them. Yes, they're actually very nice. They attach to literally anything. I have yes. one on a weird material purse. I have iron one on, on my jean jacket. Yep. There's instructions on the website on how to fucking iron it on. So just do it. <laughs> <laughs> so aggressive because I'm so fucking sweaty. Yeah. Thank you for listening. And tuning in. And I love you. And I love you, Dyson. Oh, I love you too. And just come back next week, okay? I don't know what we're going to do. It's going to be fun, though. And we'll catch you on the dark side. See you, chumps.